Good morning. We're going to read this morning from a text that normally we would read around Christmas time, uh, but Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Uh, before we get there, let me just give you a couple of heads ups. Um, we have some more of these copies of He Gets Us, which is the book that we're basing this current series off of. At least we're, we're keying on some ideas from there. Uh, has a number of excerpts from Max Licato, if you know Max as a writer. But out in the lobby, they're, they're for sale, and they'll probably be gone after this morning. Um, also tonight, we have the Glory of God Regional Prayer Gathering. It's going to happen at Crossroads Worship Center in Weymouth. That's at 241 Broad Street at Weymouth. Uh, 6.30 it starts, so it's about 6.30 to 8 o'clock tonight. So if you haven't been, this is a regional prayer effort that's been going now for four years every month, and it's a movable feast. We move from different churches to different churches every month, and uh, there's a, a fair amount of worship and prayer together, but a host of churches from around the South Shore that, that gather for this, and we've been partnering with that group as well. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you for this cool, rainy morning here in the springtime, and we ask that even as you are nourishing the earth and all that grows around us, that you will nourish us too as we gather in your presence as we sing praises to your name, as we look into your word to gain insight for how we live out our faith, how we conduct ourselves, and for how our thoughts should be shaped. We want to acknowledge that those of us who are longtime Christians love to come into your presence. And we also long to welcome those who are new and who are kicking the tires of faith and trying to figure out if there's enough reason for them to believe and to belong. And I, I pray that regardless of where we are in our faith journeys, our relative newness to it or our tremendous experience, that you will continue to fill us with awe at who Jesus is and at how the Scriptures instruct us and equip us for life. We ask that you will use today to sharpen us, to strengthen us, to help us to see some things we didn't see, or to see them in a new light so that we grow in our faith and that we grow in our understanding and that we grow in our ability to reach out to others and show them how the Bible is still relevant to life. Lord, we, we ask that 
you will not only bless the ministries of this church, but you'd also uh, guide Todd this morning as he's teaching a, a new 101 class uh, starting today, and as people are considering becoming new members here, we're thrilled about that. We also ask that you will continue to, to fill the house as we seek to train up leaders later this summer, and that, that uh, this particular Global Leadership Summit effort will be one of the best. We continue to pray for Tom Harrison as he's about halfway through his, his chemo treatments, and we ask that you would give him the strength that he needs to do the second half of all of this, and that you will preserve his life and his health in the process. Lord, you know all of our needs. You know the fears that we have. You know the family burdens that some of us have carried during this week. You know the surprises that have come our way or the hurts that have come our way. We lay them all at your feet. and We recognize that you are able to carry our burdens better than we are. And we ask that you will give us the strength to keep shouldering up to whatever load you give us to carry. And that you will also fill us with a sense of, of anticipation that you are coming back, and the day is coming when you will set the world right, and when we will see you face to face. Keep us faithful till that day, and use today in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the story about the Navy officer who had always dreamed of commanding his own battleship. He finally achieved that dream, and he was given a commission of the Navy's newest and proudest ship in the fleet, one stormy gray night as the ship plowed through the seas, the captain was on duty and was standing on the bridge when he spotted an unanticipated light off in the distance. And it seemed like it was getting rapidly closer and closer to the pathway of his battleship. So the captain ordered the signalman to flash an urgent message to this unidentified craft. Alter your course 10 degrees north, or 10 degrees south rather. Very quickly a response was flashed back Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was determined that his ship's course had been approved and he was not going to back down. So he snapped out a second message. Alter course 10 degrees. I am captain. Very quickly the reply came back. Alter your, ten, your course 10 degrees. I am seaman third class Jones. Now the captain, captain was offended and enraged. He grabbed the signal light himself and with his own hands he began to fire off the signal. Alter your course, I am a battleship. And the reply came back just as quickly, alter your course, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Here's the point of that story. It is often hard to alter our plans once we have set our own course in life. But life has this uncanny way of dashing our best laid plans and forcing us into a different direction. Seriously, is there anyone here who has had life run completely along the plans that you set out for your life? We're dealing with that a little bit here this morning. You may have noticed our worship set was a whole lot shorter. David Cote came in as the, the lead worship leader for today with no voice. So he had to cut out some of the music we were going to do this morning. Guess what? You're going to get to go home sooner. Uh, that's the way it works. And if you're online, you're not going to have to watch as long uh, because life doesn't always work out according to best laid plans. I want to say good morning to you all and welcome here to North River. I'm glad that you're here today. And welcome to those of you who are watching online. You're an important part of this process. We recognize that on a rainy day like this, there are probably some folks who would not have made it to church and you're able to watch online. 
There are some of you who need to watch online for physical reasons. And there are many others who are, who are choosing to do that from a different state or wherever you find yourself this morning. And we're glad that you are part of this One North River experience that is happening in different places at the same time today. If you're new to North River, uh, Sherry already mentioned that uh, you can fill out a connection card. Here's why that's important. Uh, some of you who are here and, and you are kicking the tires and you're, and you're checking things out and many more online and you're kind of anonymous to us, but when you're ready and you dare to fill out a connection card, it ends up on my desk and we begin a dialogue. And I'd just like to know who you are and either myself or one of our staff members will try to call you and would like to know what are your thoughts, what are your experiences so far, do you have questions or comments about what you're discovering, and we'd just love to begin the dialogue with you so that you become known and this becomes a more friendly experience for you. So I'd really encourage you to do that. And um, I've, I've had some great conversations the last few weeks with people who are very new to North River and who are, who are discovering a little bit about our format and how we go about church. And I'm getting to get inside their heads and find out how they are processing all of this and what they're thinking. And I love those conversations. They're, they're fantastic. Last Sunday, we launched a new series that focuses on the life of Jesus called He Gets Us. And I mentioned that uh, there are some ads that some of you may have seen around the Super Bowl because there was a, a large campaign and some investors who got behind this and thought we would love to stir up a conversation about who Jesus is all around the country. And so this particular series, this is part two this week, it's going to run for 10 weeks up through Father's Day, and we're looking at different angles of the ministry of Jesus. So today our topic is when life doesn't match your plan. The question that's running behind this in my mind is, did life go according to plan for Jesus? Well, certainly God had a plan all along, and God always fulfills His plans. But when you look at the life of Jesus, there are some aspects about it where you say, I don't think I would have planned it that way if I were God, or if I were trying to map out how you would send the Savior into the world. So that's our theme that we're going to run through today, when life doesn't match your plan. Here's the, the lead thought going into that. Jesus' life didn't start the way that we would have chosen. So we read in this opening verse of the, the section that, that uh, is Matthew's account of the birth narrative of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Most of you know this part of the Jesus, Mary, and Joseph story. We usually read this chapter around Christmas time every year, but I do have to tell you that it's perfectly okay to talk about this at other times too, because the incarnation of Christ matters to us every single day. Matthew uses the name and title together from the start Jesus the Messiah. Now, Christ isn't his name, Christ is a title. Uh, Matthew's aim becomes clear. He's revealing how Jesus was the Messiah that God had promised from the very beginning. The Hebrew title Messiah literally means chosen one, and the same word in Greek is Christos, and so that, that gets translated to Christ in English. No matter which language we focus on, they all refer to a person who was the chosen one of God, chosen to fulfill a particular role that brought about the salvation of people 
from our sins which offend God and keep us from God. So, Jesus was chosen by God the Father to announce the kingdom of God, to teach the values and hopes of God's kingdom, to die for the sins of the kingdom's subjects, to call them to faith, and ultimately to reign on that kingdom's throne. Summarizing the whole story and knowing the full arc of the story, it is amazing that Jesus entered the world the way that he did. First, Jesus came as the fulfillment of a surprising line of people. Look at the way that Matthew introduces Jesus to us. He starts with a genealogy. Most people think that genealogies are kind of boring unless we're tracing your family members back for several generations. But Matthew's list starts with God's promise to a man named Abraham. And the promise had several components. First, that even though Abraham was very old and his wife was far beyond childbearing years, he was going to give Abraham an heir, a son. And then he would give Abraham descendants and the land of Canaan, and he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's a tall order for a couple that are into their 90s and and they still don't have a a child of, of their own, a natural child of their own. And ultimately, though, the plan is important to us because part of that plan from God was to bless every people group or every nation around the earth through Abraham. And that's where we come in. We become a, a part of that extended blessing of God. The genealogy also takes us through a condensed list which appears to bring to us three sets of 14 names. Now, I say that it's condensed in that it's not a complete list. It doesn't purport to be. And genealogies from ancient literature like that were not written the way we would write them today where every single generation has to be included. And so these are edited, and so each one mirrors the other. There are three sets of 14 together. There are 42 names that are listed, and they fall into three evenly presented groupings. The first is from Abraham to Israel's kings. The the second takes us through Israel's kings to the fall of Jerusalem. And then the third grouping uh, is from the Babylonian exile to the time of Jesus. Now, if you want to be super hyper-literal, you will find that sometimes there are grandsons who are listed as the sons of the grandfather or great-grandsons. That was the way that they skipped some of the generations. It was done for stylistic reasons and so that you don't have to read 100 names rather than 42 names in Hebrew that you have a hard time pronouncing. But this list takes us from the time of Abraham, somewhere about 2000 B.C., to the time of Jesus, somewhere uh, around the turn of the millennium. This list is also amazing because of the high points and the low points that are covered through the people who are in those three sets of 14 names each. For instance, we have Joseph, who was sold into slavery. We have Tamar, who had to act as a prostitute to get Judah, her father-in-law, to protect her and to include her in the family line. We find Ruth, the outsider from Moab, when the people of Israel were told to have nothing to do with Moab and that a Moabite was not to be allowed into the assembly where God was worshipped for several different generations. But Ruth survived a family line where all of the men die early and yet she clung to their faith in God and chose God as her own as she journeys to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law and a whole new life envelops 
And Ruth shows us that God has a heart for outsiders, people who aren't born into family lines of faith or into the church or into the synagogue from the start. But God was always looking for people who wanted to embrace him, even back in the Old Testament days. Her husband, Boaz, was a wealthy farmer, and he's in that list as well. But he becomes an example of the kinsman redeemer, the example that is fleshed out even most fully by Jesus. And then there are a list of kings, both good and bad, faithful and unfaithful. And finally, Mary, who became pregnant with Jesus before she and Joseph were married. Now, here's the point of running through that little bit of history. The surprising twists and turns of that genealogy reveal how God accomplishes his plan through surprising and sometimes spiritually compromised people. The behavior of people does not keep God from doing what he longs to do in the world. He can use the most unlikely, unworthy characters to accomplish what he wants to do and even to bring about the pathway of grace. Max Lucado writes this in in this little book, He Gets Us. He says, the plan succeeded. The famine couldn't starve it. 400 years of Egyptian slavery couldn't oppress it. Wilderness wanderings couldn't lose it. Babylonian captivity couldn't stop it. The plan succeeded. Because the plan is about God, ultimately, not about all the people in the list. And yet God loves people so much that he includes their story. That ought to be hopeful for you and me. It's not all about us, and it doesn't all hang on us, and it doesn't hang on our performance. It doesn't hang on our perfection. God accomplishes his will even through people like you and me when we mess up. He does. But the wonderful thing is he cares about every person along the way, and he loves us. All right, here's the second discovery. Before this plan got better, it got worse. And we start off with Jesus in this very unlikely plan where Mary is found to be pregnant. I love the way that Matthew puts that. Matthew is writing in sparse terms. He doesn't give us all the historical detail that Luke will give us in his gospel. He goes for shock factor. And in that shock factor, he says in verse 18, Mary was found to be pregnant. He doesn't say angels came and announced this and there was great preparation and Elizabeth knew beforehand what was going to happen and Zechariah had been told. Luke presents all that. Matthew gives a different, more terse story that says, in the way that this landed for many people, this was shocking, this was unexpected, this was troublesome, and there was trauma all around this event. For Joseph, it came off that way. Mary, his intended bride, who he was legally betrothed to, all of a sudden tells him, that she's pregnant, and he knows he's not the father. So here's the discovery, second discovery. Before it got better, it got worse. Verse 19 then takes this on. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. If you underline underline those words, public disgrace, those are there on purpose. Those words are there for us to understand a little more of the impact of what was going on when this news landed in the little village where Mary and Joseph were living and when Joseph discovered all this. Again, most of you know this part of the Jesus, Mary, and Joseph story. But I do have to tell you that 
Sometimes it's when we're not at Christmas time, that's when we actually learn more about it because we're not just working through the things that we're expecting to hear in those moments. Mary was having a baby, and Joseph knew that this was not his child. He struggled with Mary's story that an angel of the Lord had told her that she had been chosen for this purpose. No TV series with the name The Chosen had been developed yet, so it wasn't easy to match. He had never heard of anything remotely like this before, and he wasn't sure that he could believe her. He wasn't sure that he could believe this was happening to him. None of his friends were going to believe this particular story if he told them. This was a controversial start. With that in mind, I want to tell you that there's been some controversy over this uh, He Gets Us series. I didn't start off with that last week because I wanted to start on a positive, but I'd like to bring you into the controversy and, and not be unaware of it. The controversy started as soon as word leaked that there would be some Christian-themed ads that were vying for attention during the 2023 Super Bowl. Some of you saw a few of those ads, and there were literally millions of dollars that were spent to do this. And there was criticism that came from two contrary sides. People from the theological left, so to speak, were concerned that there were hidden agendas and conservative donors who were behind this. Uh, they were afraid that this might be the product of evangelical Christians who wanted to attract people to Jesus. And to that I say, yes, there was an agenda, and I'm very much a part of that agenda, and I would love to use this little bit of controversy to hopefully help some of our friends and our neighbors think about Jesus. And actually, that's not a hidden agenda. That's an open agenda. But some were concerned that some of the people who funded this were people that they might have disagreed with politically. So I'll tell you right up front, one of the, the largest donors to the ad campaign for that was the guy who started Hobby Lobby. And so there are people who are on the opposite side of the political spectrum that all of a sudden said, I don't know if this is a good thing if there's somebody from a, uh, you know, a political movement that I didn't sign on for and they don donated money. This must be a bad thing. And then there was criticism from the theological right. Uh, there were concerns that the name... Uh, he gets us means this is all about us, not really about Jesus. So people are going to twist Jesus and they're going to make a, a Jesus that's easily accessible to the point where we water down the gospel and we make it all about who we are and we try to shape a Jesus who fits our agendas or our desires. They feared that the Jesus of the Bible would be hijacked in an attempt to make him relevant in an age of social justice. So I have to tell you, there are some themes that uh, get closer to this whole idea of the social justice controversies that are going on all around it. And I don't think we should be scared of that because we can deal with that biblically. Our staff and I talked about the criticism before we decided to bite off on this particular series. And what we decided not to do was to not take a Jack Nicholson approach. You know what that means, don't you? You can't handle the truth. So we would say, North River people can't handle the truth, so we're not going to do something like this. It might be too controversial. We felt instead that the North River congregation that we've known, and I've known for 33 years, is a discerning group and actually welcomes challenges. And we knew that we, as a staff, were not going to distort 
the gospel message about Jesus. So I'm just letting you know, if a friend of yours says, oh, I hear your church is doing that weird, he gets this thing, ooh, and then whether it's from the right or from the left, they're going to give you what they've heard of the criticism. Or if you look it up online and you start to dive into some of the criticism, you're prepared, and you know that we're prepared, and we're not scared of that from either side. Actually, I think there's something really good when you're criticized from the left and you're criticized from the right. It means that you're probably going right down the middle. And that's what I think we're doing here with all of this. We want to present the Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of the Bible, not reinvent Jesus. But we also want to show how Jesus continually makes himself relevant to people from every age including this age that we live in right now. So before it got better, it got worse for Jesus. That's part of the telling of the story, which leads to the third discovery. Jesus gets the brokenness of life. Let me read that verse for you again, Matthew 1.19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. If I were underlining this time, the word that I would underline is divorce. This was very much a part of the background of the story. Jesus' arrival involved shame, risk, heartbreak, and wonder. The wonder part we get, the wonder is when the angels show up and the magi come and and there's wonder, how how can the very Son of God, with all the fullness of God, be contained in this little baby? And we, and we, we marvel over that. But the shame, risk, and heartbreak factors had to do with the way that Jesus came and the way that Jesus was born to Mary. So Luke provides the angelic announcements. Matthew portrays the human struggle that was involved. They are not counter stories to each other. They are two parts of the same story with each author coming at it from a different angle and telling us a different part of the whole. Joseph was contemplating how to divorce Mary by breaking off his betrothal to her. Betrothal was a legal contract that was made between families between that period, in that period of time. Sometimes it would last a year, and it was meant to be a year of preparation for marriage, but it was a binding contract. There had to be a valid reason for breaking the betrothal, and if somebody invalidated that betrothal contract. There was huge societal shame that would fall on that person. And Joseph loved Mary enough that he did not want Mary to be landed in the midst of this huge pile of shame. And all of a sudden, she was suddenly and mysteriously pregnant with the child who would soon be known as Jesus. Matthew's description is deliberately stark And it includes only the bare details that Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And the only angelic appearance that appears in this part of Matthew's account is in a dream to Joseph. Here's another level of the He Gets Us controversy. This this series of TV ads was produced to accompany the He Gets Us campaign. And each of them is designed to illustrate how Jesus gets the pain of human life. The ad we are about to show you has been ripped by some on the theological right, who would be more from the camp that I grew up in, feeling that the story of Jesus' birth is somehow tarnished by comparing it with a teen mom's dilemma in our day. I'd like to see what you think. I think that you guys can handle the controversy. 
A young girl had a boyfriend. She got pregnant. She was scared. How could she face her parents? What would they say? Can't hide something like that forever. Her parents asked who the father was. They assumed her boyfriend, but baby wasn't his. He loved her so much, he offered to help raise the child with her. They married and found a small place. They had very little money and no insurance. One evening, her water broke. There wasn't time to get help. He delivered the child and lay him in a manger. So what was the point? The point was not that Jesus' birth was identical to the experience of this teen mom or her situation, but that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were all subjected to the doubts, the scandalous rumors, and a humble but joyful beginning that was depicted in this teen, teen birth video. Would Jesus identify with this teen couple? The decision is left in the eye of the beholder. We have a scandalous start, a courageous young dad who raises the child as his own, even though this child is not his own. Poverty, a humble birth, and great joy over the arrival of a son. Would Jesus get the dilemma of this young couple? I think he would. I think it's part of the reason why God, in his planning, sent Jesus in the way that he did. That Jesus would understand the struggle that many people go through in life. That Jesus would understand that sometimes plans don't work out the way you originally thought your life would go. And people say things, and people form judgments in this life. Jesus was subject to all of that. And would Jesus draw near to a couple whose child was born in these conditions? The tagline is, Jesus was born to a teen mom. There's nothing untrue about that statement. It's just kind of loaded with some of the baggage of our day. That's one of the main points of the way that God chose to bring Jesus into our world. Jesus gets from the outset that life doesn't always match the dreams and the hopes that we have for how life will unfold and how life will work out. Jesus comes to us in the midst of a world of shattered dreams and broken hopes of all kinds of people. And Jesus becomes approachable because he was approachable from the start for people with humble and difficult starting points. And Christian faith that is lined up and based on Jesus also becomes something that is approachable and for people with humble and difficult starting points. I think that's a marvelous part of the arrangement of the story that God has done. In years past, I remember the women of North River Church surrounding a couple of teen moms who all of a sudden were very young and very pregnant 
and throwing surprise showers around here. Many of the moms who are gathering together to shower grace and blessings and gifts on girls that they didn't even know. Not to say we approve of everything that's happened up to this moment and we're going to completely endorse uh, all of that, but rather to say we understand where you are and where you are starting and we want to behind, be behind you. That's the heart of North River. That's what I've seen as some of the best moments of our church, entering into the messiness of life and saying this is where real grace happens. And So I wanted to show you this, this particular ad, not to say that everybody's going to love it or that everybody's going to say, I'm really thrilled of Jesus being portrayed this way. However, this is the world that Jesus enters into. And we are the kind of people that Jesus comes to rescue wherever we start. And it sends a message about Jesus. It sends a message about historic Christianity. It sends a message about North River Church, which is, you do not have to put on airs, and you do not have to, be, to pretend that your life is perfect to come and to seek after Jesus here, which leads to my fourth point this morning. Jesus didn't come for perfect people. Roll that slide back one. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus never, is never turned off by the scandals and difficult starts we encounter. He's never turned off. There are all kinds of people in our day and in our age who have formed ideas based on the way that church has been lived out and church has been carried out, or, and I'll take responsibility for my part in this, often from the image that pastors project upon congregations, that you have to have a certain number of things in order, that you have to look a certain way, that if you're going to be in the presence of God's people who are worshiping Jesus, you've got to have it all together. And I dare say that that is the exact opposite of what authentic Christian faith actually proclaims. That our Jesus came into a broken world where people were messed up. And no, we don't want everybody to be messed up. But when you are in the midst of the mess, there is no better place to be than right here, starting here. Jesus didn't come for perfect people. We read this last week, but it applies again this Sunday. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. Again, I mentioned we looked at these verses in part one last Sunday, but they're worth another look. Here's why. Notice that there are three descriptive terms that describe the people that are in focus in these verses. In verse six, they're called the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. In verse seven, we're introduced to the idea of a righteous person and also a good person. There's also a repetition of who Christ died for. In verse 6, he says it's the ungodly. In verse 8, Paul writes, he died for us. The point the Apostle Paul is getting at is not that we are all morally righteous or that we are all morally good in terms of working our way toward salvation. Rather, there is some factor of ungodliness that is in every member of the human race, including me. Paul describes it in Romans 3 this way, 
for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Often when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody one-on-one, I'll cite that verse and I'll say, who's in the all? Uh, Oh, I think that means everybody. I said, does that mean me too? I'm I'm a pastor. I've been doing pastoral ministry for almost 39 years. Am I, have I sinned? Yeah, I guess so. You're part of the all. I said, what do you think you're saying? Are you trying to offend me? (laughs) And what I'm trying to turn it around is so that I can say, guess what? You're in the all too. And, And we need that. And I'm in the all. And you are all part of the all. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's why we need the amazing grace that David was talking about a little while ago when he was sitting there at the piano. We all need that. None of us measure up to what God fully expects. The only ones who are convinced that they have not fallen short have an incomplete view of what human sinfulness is. That is the hard side of the Christian message. Paul is clear when he writes this, that we all need the saving work of Jesus. None of us gets to grace without Jesus. And because Jesus was born into a broken world, Jesus gets us. And whatever part of the brokenness that we've experienced and whatever part of the brokenness that we're locked in right now and whatever part of the brokenness that we bring in here with us. So let me explain something about what I believe North River Church is. We are not afraid to talk about how the Bible sees us as sinners saved by grace around here. This only reminds us of where we've come from and where our humble start began. We have a very colorful group of people with hard starts starts and difficult pathways around here. We are enriched by the honesty of a large number of friends of Bill who are recovering alcoholics, who are refreshingly honest about bottoming out and coming to the end of themselves, all as the starting point to a whole new life, a whole new identity in relationship to Jesus. Those of us who are not addicted to alcohol, we're probably addicted to something else. Pride, lust, sex, achievement, greed, and a whole lot of other things that are equally addictive and can be equally destructive. Increasingly, what I find is we are a bunch of used-to-bees who are given a new start by Jesus. Used to be drunks, used to be addicts, used to be rejected, used to be dominated by lust, greed, pride, or whatever else is a part of our deadliest sins. Used to be broken over the losses of life and crushed by all the defeats that fell upon us. And this is why we love talking about God's amazing grace. This is why we clap and cry when people choose to be baptized like we had a couple of weeks ago here. This is why we love to hear faith stories of people who've been reclaimed and restored by Jesus because this is our story. It's our collective story. And sometimes it's our individual story too where you remember the before and we're seeing the after being produced and developed and, and climb more and more into who God originally created us to be. Because all of these stories remind us of where we started. They remind us that Jesus gets those who've been touched by the broken side of life. Notice the wording of Romans 5, 6. If you've got notes out and you're an underliner again, the two words that I would underline this time are at the beginning of verse 6 where it says, but God. We are but God people around here. All kinds of things have gone wrong. 
All kinds of things have been messed up. We try to do it our own way. We try to be religious. We try to bring ourselves up to God. We try to, to be righteous by ourselves. And then we find out that we fail, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. There is always room for others who are experiencing those but God moments. Everything else that is before the but God is what life does to us. Everything before the but God is about how we experience the brokenness and the shattered dreams of this life. But everything after the but God is about what he intends to do with our lives from that point forward. We are but God people because we are brought into a broken world where God enters into our lives and he even allowed his son to be born into a, a, a broken dream that the ultimate dream of God might be realized. This is amazing grace. So I don't know where you're at, whoever you are watching online today, whether you've been watching with us for weeks or months or whether you're just daring to try out church for the first time. And I don't know everybody in this room today. I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. And I don't know all of your stories. And maybe you came in here because somebody twisted your arm just a little bit to say, come and check it out one time. I want you to know something about this particular church and what should be the experience in every church, that we are but God people where there are new starts and new dreams and new life that arises because of the Jesus that we meet here. And no matter how hard your start has been, Jesus gets you. And that's what we're proclaiming for the next several weeks. That's what we are relishing. And that's why people sing around here. Because most of us have had a hard start somewhere along the way. And when we discovered the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ... It changed everything about the way that we saw ourselves. And I hope that story keeps getting written and rewritten and added to and that there are multiple names that keep getting added to our genealogy of grace here at North River. And if you're new and you're trying to figure out if you can belong here, I've got to tell you something. You don't have to climb to some level in order to fit in. The more honest you are, you're going to find that your story has similarities to the rest of our stories. And Jesus' story is what changes it all. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the but gods that we read in Scripture, where everything has gone wrong, everybody messed up, but your love is so relentless that you meet us in the midst of a broken world. I pray that you will encourage those of us who are longtime believers with this particular presentation of the gospel so that you will equip us to share the Jesus that we believe in and what we think church is supposed to be to our friends who are so badly in need of the grace that you bring into life. And Lord, I pray that you will overwhelm anybody who's kicking the tires online or in person today and wondering if, if this is the church that they could be a part of and where they could belong or if this is a Jesus that they could trust, that they would know that there's no part of our shame, there's no part of our difficulty in life that Jesus wasn't willing to endure 
in order to bring us to God. May his transforming grace shower us all. In Jesus' name, amen.